Wow. You guys are all sugared up from those pancakes. Man. And in case you're wondering, the pancakes and the grain offering message tonight do not go together, but we'll see how it works out. So, so turn with me in your Bible to Leviticus, and I'm still not kidding. So I said, I actually posted it on Facebook. Yeah, I'm going to start this series on Leviticus, and people thought I was joking. And then we had people, when I said, turn Leviticus, they thought I was still joking until I got through the message. So we are actually in a series called Guts, Grace, and the Gospel. And so how many of you guys enjoyed last week? How many of you didn't enjoy it last? No, let's not do that one, so... Leviticus chapter 2, Leviticus is the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And so uh, the first seven chapters of Leviticus deal with the five different types of offering, and these are five different pictures of the cross of Christ. And so there's no one picture that can kind of get everything that Jesus did, and so this lets us know the complete sufficiency, any area of your life, he wants you to be secure in your walk with God. And so he gives us these different offerings. And so uh, the, let me give you the five offerings. Just so you know, I was not able to name these from memory um, before I studied these, so don't feel bad if you uh, cannot name these out loud. So here we go. Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and guilt offering. Now, some of these have different names uh, according to what translation you read, but we're going to stick with these, all right? And now here's some good news. And so you come to the book of Leviticus. So uh, in Exodus, the book of Exodus starts off, where's God? These people are in slavery. They cry out. The moment they cry out, God begins to answer raises up a, a deliverer, Moses, delivers him out of Egypt, build the tabernacle. So it starts off with, where's God? The end of the book of Exodus, God's in the middle of them in the midst. The glory fills the temple. And now he begins to speak out of the temple and tells them how to make offerings. And if you remember, the word offering means to come near. It doesn't mean, this is what needs to happen so I don't get ticked off. He's saying, listen, I'm in your midst and I want to have a relationship with you. Let me show you how we do this. And so it meets the standards of his holiness and his love. Sound familiar? Okay, <clears throat> and so um, the first three offerings are voluntary. In other words, they're not required. You do them out of your volition, out of your will. You do them just completely out of your love for God. The last two offerings, the sin offering and the guilt offering, sometimes called the trespass offering, is, uh, I don't like the name trespass. It sounds like, like someone's coming on your property and they aren't supposed to be there. It like, doesn't like, quite get it. So I like guilt offering. And so those two are mandatory. In other words, you blow it, you need a covering for sin. But the other ones are like, just out of your relationship with God. They were required by Jesus, but they weren't required by the people. All right. So last week we looked at the... I'm, I'm talking fast, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, whenever people start bidding like it's an auction, I'm like, all right, slow it down here. What am I winning? What am I bidding on? All right. Sorry, I just get hyped up about this stuff. Like, I have not been... I don't know. I, I never would have thought I would have got excited about... I think I've made jokes about Leviticus over the last 11 years. And now here we are going through it verse by verse. And so, last week, we looked at the burnt offering. I remember... Uh, so, Mary and I and uh, Rachel, we went to um, India, uh, this, well, I guess it was last year, 2019. And, you know, you can't talk fast over there because they're translating it from another language. And so... I don't know if Sean gave them this, but they made up this thing. Like, if you're talking too fast, they just held up like they're holding up a C. And so for the first couple of days, and I have to slow back down. And uh, Mary, so she's heard all my teachings so many times. She said it was the best teaching I'd ever done because it was the first time I had to slow down. And so <sighs> last week, we looked at the burnt offering in detail. And so here's the picture of the burnt offering. Now, we're going to see the sin offering in a couple weeks here. In the sin offering, the person places their hand on the, on the bull or the lamb or whatever was being offered. It's a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And the sin offering, our sin is being transferred to the animal, and the animal is being punished in our place. 
But in the burnt offering, it's the opposite. It's this perfect, unblemished male. And, all the, and it's a picture of Jesus perfectly there. And, the, and the, uh, we, the hand is placed on it again. But the picture is all of the righteousness, all of the perfections, all of the delight that God has in this perfect, in this perfect son comes upon us. In the burnt offering, all of God's righteousness, all of his pleasure. So God now treats us as if we were Jesus himself. The burnt offering goes up as a pleasing aroma, and it says it provides a covering, an atonement for us. And so we are literally covered in God's pleasure. That's the burnt offering. Yes, yay. Now in the book of Hebrews, we find out that the offerings are a picture of Jesus, but they're also a picture of the way that we can now worship. And so they all have this dual meaning. I didn't get to this last week. And so I'm going to hit it real quick this week. And so in the offerings, it's not only what Christ has done. He's done everything for us. There's nothing we can add to it. God is not requiring anything other than Jesus. But it is giving us a path of because of Jesus, here's the way that we respond. And so in the burnt offering, here's these people. They're, they're cutting up the animal, and they're watching it go up completely in smoke. Every part of the animal was consumed in the burnt offering. Some people called it the whole burnt offering. And so um, here's the picture. is my entire life goes up in smoke as a worship before the Father as a pleasing incense. And so our response when we see the burnt offering is, God, everything I have belongs to you. Every single piece gets consumed for your glory. So now we got the, uh, the um, Leviticus chapter 2, the grain offering, sometimes called the cereal offering, sometimes called the meal offering. And in the King James, for some strange reason, it's called the meat offering, even though there's no meat. I don't know what King James was thinking, but we're going to stick with the grain offering. Okay, are you guys good? All right, just keep the one, but know that there's others. All right. Now, the grain offering we're going to describe is the only sacrifice that has no blood. All the rest of them have blood. The grain offering is going to represent the perfect life of Jesus, okay? The grain offering could never happen alone. We find out from the book of Exodus that the grain offering was always on top of a burnt offering. Here's the picture. If Jesus just lived a perfect life pleasing before the Father, that couldn't save us. It took blood to save us. And so the life of Jesus without the death of Jesus is of no benefit to us. Okay, so there's the picture. So now here, we've, we've, uh, chapter 1, we've looked at the burnt offering. Now we're getting ready to look at chapter 2, the grain offering, all the components that go into it, all the beauty of it, but it has to be accompanied by the blood. Okay. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord... You know what? Let me hit the pause button. I have a feeling some of you have these questions. You're like, how could 2 million people do all these offerings all the time? Has anyone had that question yet? Okay. And so um, if we had a diagram, if if we went through Exodus... Don't tempt me. Um, And we looked at the uh, building of the tabernacle, the instructions for the temple, all those type of things. You would see the largest piece of furniture is the uh, the place where they make the grain offering, the the altar there, the brazen altar. And so it's, it's it's the largest place that they would make it. And so the priests were making it on behalf of the people every single day. And so morning and evening, they're making different sacrifices on behalf of the people. But Leviticus says, if there is these extreme worshipers, who say, God, I don't have to do it. It's already being done on my behalf. But if an individual wants to come and offer, this is how they do it. So this wouldn't be two million people. These would be the Zioneers who are the radicals saying, yeah, it may not be required, but our hearts are so full, we've got to come and offer something to our great king who's literally manifesting himself as fire right in the middle of our midst physically. Okay, so that's how it happened. And so the Levitical instructions are for individual worshipers who are partnering with the priests but it was being done on behalf of them that was taken care of in the book of Exodus. Does that help? 
All right. Not in the notes, but just fun stuff. All right. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. Remember, every ingredient in these offerings are a picture of Jesus that we're going to unpack here. He shall pour oil on it <clears throat> and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. Who are the priests today? Just get the pictures here. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And so he's going to take part of the, of the meal here. And the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. Okay, so here's the picture. Is, uh, you know, they're, they're taking the ingredients. We're about to go through the ingredients here. It's almost like a little cooking show. Can't you just kind of see it like on TV? They got the little flour. They got the frankincense. They're mixing it all up here. And maybe samples for the audience here. And so part of the meal goes to Aaron and the priests. The other thing was to be enjoyed by, um, by the person who's eating it here. And so let's go through the different pictures here. It says the grain shall be of fine flour. There's no unevenness in the flour. There's no rough spots. There's no imperfections. And this is a picture of the life of Jesus. There was no like, oh, he was really loving, but he didn't know how to handle conflict. You know, it was, it was like he was full of grace and truth. Early in our marriage, I used to joke that um, I was grace and my wife was truth. But together we kind of formed Jesus. Jesus had them both in equal measures. And so he could um, be confrontational and yet not aggressive. He could be kind and not passive. He was, completely, uh, he was completely even. All of Christ's actions were in perfect submission to his Father. Uh, he, and you can see they're, just, they're smoothest. There's no, there's no uneven parts in it. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only, I only see, uh, speak what I hear him say. Um, not my will, but thy will be done. And so, um, so he, he, he's just this amazing picture. So let me ask you this. Does wheat come out of the ground as flour? Okay. How does wheat get turned into flour? I'm going to take it and I'm going to crush it and smash it and grind it and bruise it and all these different things. Here's a verse you don't hear very often, uh, Hebrews 5.8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he had no sin. He was born completely perfect. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. I know some are like, hold on, that doesn't sound like the Bible. Hold on, let me see what it says in my translation here. Here Jesus came out. He was, he was the first fruit of, of, the, of, of the grain offering. That's a whole other picture. Um, the first part represents the whole, okay? And so uh, he was the firstborn of many brothers. He was the first fruit offering, the fulfillment of that. And so he, uh, he was completely perfect, unleavened in this thing. And yet in order for him to be made smooth flour, fine flour, there was things he had to suffer in life. I'm going to do that every time I need to emphasize a point or people start getting slipped. No, I don't know why that's happening, but... As Jesus selflessly laid down his life for others, the grain of his life is ground. He was rejected, misunderstood, betrayed. Um, are any of you picking up how the flower of our life is going to be? <clears throat> Can't we just do like a fine flower tunnel and just have hands laid on us and just <laughs> we're just awesome and just sifting in God's hands? He was betrayed. He served others selflessly. He washed feet. Like I'm not, that's not my deal. And so uh, I'm, I'm super impressed by that. Okay, I'm not going to tell the Big Betty story. I've done worse than wash feet, but yeah. Anyway, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Big Betty. 
Guys, I cannot tell. I can, I'll just give you high-level details. I worked in a psychiatric ward in the geriatric unit. I had to bathe a 400-pound woman, and while in the middle of it, she had explosive diarrhea that exploded all over me. Okay, so. And believe me, that's the tame version. Keep mo I'm moving. Thank you, sweetheart. See, see I, I'm like such fine flower. I'm just going to just submit to you what you just said there. So, Guys, and when it comes to Jesus' suffering, I mean, he loved enemies. He blessed those who cursed him, betrayed by those closest to him, bruised, broken, physically, spiritually, mentally, all those things. None of us knows the depth of his crushing. Uh, Psalm 69, verses 19 through 21. This is speaking of Christ on the cross. He says, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. So this is a picture of him right there on the cross. So here's the deal, guys. Uh, I, I, I kind of hinted at it. How is it that we are made to be more like Jesus? If he learned obedience through suffering, how is it that we are going to be made into fine flour? Anyone uh, had any grinding and crushing this week? Anybody had any of that? Well, the Bible says consider pure joy. You, you, there's a strength being built on the inside of you. There's a usability. There's an acceptable sacrifice being built up of your life that we're going to see when burned becomes a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Guys, if you're going to be an overcomer, you know what that means? You're going to have to have some things to overcome. Well, hold on. I thought when I got saved, like, everything was just going to be easy. Who told you that lie? <laughs> like, that, that's, that's not true. It's not in the Bible. I'm not saying that bad and evil are from God. I'm saying he, he can use any situation. I'm saying in those situations, how do you think you get the fruit of the Spirit? Like love, joy. Like how do you get joy? Well, I mean, uh, a couple different ways, but one of them is God puts you in the exact opposite circumstance of joy so that the only way you'll experience the fruit of his kingdom, the fruit of his Spirit, is through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. You're not experiencing joy when everyone's like laughing and like you're amazing. Like this is the fruit of the spirit. No, 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 no. That's just, that's just the oil. That's just the goodness. But when you can experience joy in the midst of the crushing, the grinding, the sanding, man, now you're actually getting the fruit, the character of the Holy Spirit produced in you. But another part of the offering, it says, he shall pour oil on it. Oil represents the Holy Spirit and it's the thing that holds the whole cake together. So here you have the perfect humanity of Jesus and the fine flower, but we see at his birth it was divinity mixed with humanity. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Isn't it amazing just the little details that gets, that gets the whole picture here? The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and informs Jesus, perfect man while still fully God. Um, the imagery was, uh, was, uh, was mixed in with the flower. Everything that Jesus said or did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is actually, there's been whole books written on this one thing. I, I could give you the titles if you needed them. But um, Mighty and Word and Deed by James Sheldon. Um, there's one by Roger Stronstad. Um, has the word spirit in it somewhere. Anyway, the, the whole picture is of Jesus' entire life, not just like his, uh, like his miracle life. Like when he worshipped, when he gave thanks, everything it says it was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Now, frankincense is this gum of kind of like this snowy whiteness. That's, it's a picture of purity. But here's the deal. The only time that the incense gets released from frankincense is when it's set on fire. 
And when it's set on fire, it releases a beautiful, uh, beautiful per, uh, perfume. Here's the deal. All of the, uh, through all the fiery trials, Jesus' life was a precious fragrance. Whenever he came under the fire, it was a perfect aroma, the most perfect perfume that went up before the Father. I want you to think of it. He's literally hanging on the cross naked, humiliated, betrayed in every single way. They literally filleted him alive with the crown of thorns, the, the stripes on his back. And here's what came, the incense that came out of him was, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Let's go back to verse 2, Leviticus 2.2. 2, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour. Um, part of the meal went to God. Part of the meal went to Aaron and, and his priests. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a principle we see in Romans 11 where it says, uh, when part of it is sanctified, he said when part of the loaf is sanctified, the entire loaf is sanctified. So here's the picture. Is they're taking part of the loaf and offering it to God? That means the whole loaf is holy. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma. So you take this whole mixture, part of it's burned off to God, he's pleased with it. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. Who's Aaron and his sons? The priests. Who are the priests today? We are the priests, okay? It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings, Okay? Here's the picture. Jesus is the perfect meal that satisfies God and satisfies men. The larger portion became the daily bread for priests. This is how the priests were. When, when uh, Jesus is saying, give us this daily or daily bread, how are they getting the daily bread just uh, within earshot of the temple when he's saying these things from the grain offering? They're literally feeding on Jesus for their strength. Today, we're the priests. Jesus is the daily bread that we feed on that gives us comfort and strength. Now, throughout the Bible, bread is a picture of, the, of what God gives us for life. Listen to John chapter 6. By the way, I have saved the best parts coming up here. You guys are about to have your mind blown by the, uh, by the grain offering. It is, I've had my shouting shoes on all week. It's about to get so good. John 6, 31, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, manna was supernatural bread that came down and fed them. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to them, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, but, but I said to you that have seen me and yet do not believe, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So today we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give us the aspect of Christ that we need to feed on that will give us the strength to make it through the day. Are you ready for the best part? You're not going to see that it's the best part, but you're about to see that it's the best part. Verse 4. I want you to notice there's three types of bread. Okay? <laughs> Verse 4, when you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. It's the same, same recipe from the previous verses. And if your offering grain is uh, offering baked in a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Interesting picture. Uh, the rest of the stuff was um, the, other, the other two loaves. They were mixed with oil. This one was mixed with oil and then had oil poured on top of it. I mean, just, it's so awesome just how the, the, the little details. So Jesus, here he is born of the Holy Spirit, lived by the Holy Spirit. But remember at his baptism, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was, uh, was, had oil poured on top of him. 
And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, number three, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar. A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Same pattern here you're seeing. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's offerings. There was three types of bread. There were three types of bread. Some translations say big loaf, medium loaf, small loaf. So like large deep dish pizza, like uh, the, the, the flat crust pizza, and then like the slice of pizza. They, like, they, literally, you just kind of picture those t- different things there. These represent the three aspects of your humanity, body, soul, and spirit. You need bread for all three parts. I want you to think about the biblical, tip, the biblical temple system. There was an outer court. There was an inner court called the holy place, and there was the holy of holies called the um, most holy place, right? I want you to get this. As they're presenting their um, bread, they realize there was bread in all three parts of the temple. The outer court, they're making the grain offering. The inner court, the, the, the holy place, there was the table of his presence, the table of his bread. And on the inner court, there was the ark of the covenant that contained manna. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God was saying, listen, you're making these three types of bread, all representations of Christ. You need Christ in every single part of your life. You are body, you are soul, you are spirit. You need him in all three parts. This is the, um, I'm going to keep going here. God is saying, I know that you're three parts, and I'm going to satisfy all three parts by giving you bread for your spirit, soul, and body. The manna, uh, Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He's saying, I am that supernatural bread. Are you guys ready for this? The manna never failed. It came every day. So there will be bread for every day, whether you pick it up or not. That's up to you. Manna never failed. Are you going to pick up that bread? Jesus is teaching about prayer. And in Luke 11, verse 5, he says this. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. Three loaves of bread. Remember, he's not teaching a parable about how to get some food. He's pulling... Most of the parables amplify truths in the Old Testament and bring them into a new covenant reality. Friend, give me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. It's one person. Why do they need three, three loaves of bread? Because we need it in every part of our body. He's teaching on prayer. The whole context is prayer. And he will answer, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend. Yet because of his impudence or his audacity or because of his outrageous persistence, his annoyance, he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. In other words, God is saying, you have to ask for these three loaves. Matthew 13, 33, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast a woman used in, ba- in making bread. She put, it only, she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour. What's three measures of flour? Three loaves of bread. So when you pray, you need to ask for three loaves of bread. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who's making three loaves of bread. What's the woman represent? The church. The woman in the, in the Bible is always representing the church, the bride. What's she making? Three loaves. Why? Because in the kingdom, we need all three loaves. Ready to go a little deeper? 
Genesis 18, verses 1 through 6. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Abraham, outside his tent, three men come. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So here's these guys. They're about to walk through. And because of his impudence, he stops them. If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and, the rest, and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And only after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent, and Sarah said, Quick, three siyas of fine flour. Quick, make three loaves of bread. Knead it and make cakes. Right back at the beginning, when God is starting his new covenant, Abraham and Sarah are making three loaves of bread. God is trying to show us something very important about bread, that we're supposed to not only have bread in our outer court, inner court, and temple, but we're supposed to have the bread of Christ that we're able to share with other people. It's not just about you feeding on Christ as our act of worship. That's part of it. But God expects us to feed on Christ in every of our life. But now we also have the privilege of taking that bread of Christ that has fed our lives and begin to feed other people with it. What's happening here? Abraham's 100 years old. He had been waiting a century for this, this kind of visitation. He'd been waiting for this his whole life. This was, this was the promise that was going to happen. Uh, though again, the woman's the picture of the church. The church's response to divine visitation is that she makes three loaves. When God visits you, our response is, God, I want you in every part of my life, body, soul, and spirit. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like three loaves. It's like a woman makes three loaves. But here's our act of worship is to feed other people out of those loaves. How many times did Jesus say, who's going to feed all these people? And they say, we haven't gotten any bread. Jesus is like, it's not, it's not about the bread. <laughs> I'm not expecting Jesus to go, oh, you don't have any bread? You don't have enough money? Oh, okay, we'll just let these people go hungry. No, that's not what he says. He says, you feed them. You do have bread, but you don't think you have bread, but you do have bread. No, you feed them. You come up with some bread. I'm giving you my bread, but make sure you have enough bread to give to others. Listen, guys, what if Abraham and Sarah didn't have bread? What would have happened? The divine visitors would have just passed on by. You know what that means? There would have been no promise. There would have been no Isaac. If there's no Isaac, there's no Jesus. What's God asking for his church? Make sure you've got bread that you can feed others. Otherwise, many will miss the promise. So Sarah gets quickly on with it. She makes three loaves of bread. And because of that, when the men receive the bread, look at the, uh, Genesis 18, verses 9 and 10. So the, the men received the bread, the divine visitors. They said to him, where is your wife Sarah? And she said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind them. Somebody is getting something out of this. I appreciate that. So, Guys, they've been waiting 100 years. She'd been waiting 90 years. The day of, this wasn't the first time Abraham had a divine visitation, but this is the first time they had a divine visitation, and they responded with three loaves. And when she responded with three loaves, the very answer that she had been seeking, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. It's going to be the promise that you've been waiting for. Jesus is the perfect grain offering. 
He is the pleasing bread acceptable for body, soul, and spirit. There's nothing we're going to add to that. God's not requiring anything else from that. But remember, there's a dual nature to every sacrifice. And part of our response on behalf of his perfect life, his, his life was perfectly pleasing and pleasing the Father in every single way, is for us to say, God, I want my life to be like that. I'm going to stay full of your bread in my spirit, soul, and body, and I'm going to break off those pieces and feed other people. Kingdom of God, it's like a woman who made three loaves. When you're praying, make sure you get the three loaves. Let me ask you this. Do you have the bread in all three parts? You've probably trusted him for your spirit if you're saved here. But are you trusting him in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions? Or are you just letting your mind go wander and go crazy and panic and all these type of things? You need bread in your soul. How about your body? Are you depending on nutrition and exercise? Are you depending on the living God? I'm not saying don't use wisdom. I, I feel like we use wisdom. But if I count on my wisdom, it's going to fall short every time. Verse 11, Leviticus 2.11, No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar, but, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with the Lord your God be missing from your grain offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. Let me just hit salt real quick. Salt was something... In the ancient Near East, that was acted as a preservative, it was a decay, and it was used in many different types of, uh, most of the covenants that were made in the Bible had salt included in them. It's the picture of the, the perpetuity, of the eternal nature of this sacrifice. The eternal nature of this covenant, it was, it was salted. I mean, this is good forever. Let's talk about leaven. Leaven, or uh, sometimes called yeast, I think we would call it yeast today, uh, represents sin in the Bible. So Jesus, he talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Sadducees, okay? So it's, it's specifically, it's, it's hypocrisy or, or, or bad teaching. So the leaven of Herod is that political spirit that tries to get things done through connections, through, you know, uh, you know I don't want to look bad, you know? I remember you see Herod washing his hands of things. I don't want to look bad here in front of the people. I want to look good in front of people. You're trusting in your own reputation rather than God. That's the leaven of Herod. Leaven of the Pharisees was religious performance. He said, you know, don't get sucked in by the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, they're trying to please God by what they do. And so, guys, we, I guarantee we, we wrestle with the leaven of the Pharisees in this day. Whenever we think God's not pleased with me, I need to do something to get his attention. I, I can't come before him. We don't recognize we've already been covered by that burnt offering, the righteousness and perfection. So if I'm trying to add to that, that's the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And so churches today that are saying that um, there's, there's no gifts of the Spirit, I just had the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house yesterday. And so, um, uh, and so this is the third visit. And I don't want to let them in my house because as soon as they come in, they're going to see my library. I've got 4,000 books lining the walls, floor to ceiling, and they're going to go, hold on, you're a pastor. So I don't want them to know that I'm a pastor, you know, and I've you know, I got all this stuff. And so I just keep them on the doorstep. It was nice and warm yesterday. And... Um, I'm like, well, uh, talk to me about miracles. What do you guys believe about miracles? And they said, well, we don't believe that God does it anymore today. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I've read the Bible, and I said, Jesus did a whole bunch of them. And uh, the early church in the book Acts, they did a whole bunch of them. And I feel like we still kind of need those today. I don't feel like the need for miracles is left. I said, so my problem with your religion is there, there's, um, it's very natural. And I said, you just can't get it from reading the Bible. I said, you guys say you're all about the Bible. I said, I, I just don't see it. I said, if you were to lock a new believer in a room with a New Testament for a week, they would never come out saying miracles had ceased. 
There has to be some crazy doctrine of men. I said, so, uh, and they said, boy, you've really thought these things through, you know. <laughs> can, can we come back another time? I said, yeah, let's come back another time. And guess what's going to happen next time? We're going to pray. We're going to watch God invade their lives. But listen, what that is, that's the leaven of the Sadducees. No supernatural. There's churches who claim to have Christ that have leaven in their bread of Sadducees. God doesn't do miracles today. It's not pleasing to the Lord. It's actually rejected. I'm not saying they're rejected, but their works and human strength and intellect, and let's convince them and argue, it's leaven. How we doing? Why no honey? Why no honey offered with, uh, with offerings? You couldn't put leaven in, you couldn't have honey on it. Honey is a picture of our own human pleasure. And so pleasure is a good thing. In the book of Proverbs, he's like, eat honey. Just don't eat so much of it that it turns sour in your stomach and makes you throw up. Okay? And so, so honey is a good thing. And so it's not that pleasure is forbidden. I want you to get this. God invented pleasure. Like a sin wasn't the thing that invented pleasure. God's the one who gave you taste buds. I want you to think about the way babies are made. He could have been like, we do it like the plants. It's asexual and just like a spore, sperms. No, 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 no. Pleasure. Where do you think all those nerve endings came from? In your genitals. They came from God. Hey, guys, if you can't talk about sex and genitals in church, we're going to get it from MTV. I mean, come on. God's the one who created pleasure, but here's the picture. We want to enjoy the good things of God, but when it comes to the offering, you couldn't put your own honey on it because if you come to worship God for the primary purpose of getting your own pleasure, it's not worship. Yeah, I'll worship God if I enjoy it. I just don't like that kind of service. Oh, so you're trying to put your own honey on it. It's not acceptable. Forget it. You're serving yourself. God will give you pleasure. He will give you the joy of life, but don't try to manufacture it yourself. Look at the bread that came down from heaven. It was bread that tasted like honey. When we get the bread from God, we'll get all the pleasure you can possibly handle. But when you try to make it yourself, you get sick, and it's not acceptable. God's awesome. The best thing you can have for pleasure is God himself, not bread with your own honey on it. When we feast on Jesus, the bread that came down from heaven, the true man in the desert will get all the pleasure we can cope with. Let's look at King Saul, the first king of Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 3. Then you shall go up from there far farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. This is very similar to the Abraham story. Three men coming up there. One will be carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. The story of King Saul is a story of a king who almost made it, but he always fell short. It's like he wanted to serve God, but the natural desires of his flesh. It's interesting. Um, they had three loaves of bread, but he only took two. <laughs> I feel like, like the, the noise effects over there are kind of like going with the sermon somehow, strangely. This is, this is awesome. The kingdom of God is like someone who made three loaves of bread. When you pray, you get three loaves of bread. Abraham, got three loaves of bread. We, we saw these things, but what happened? These, these visitors came by with three loaves of bread, and Saul said, I'll only take two of them. And because he only had bread in two of his parts, he fell short and never fulfilled 
the destiny God had for him. Guys, we need all three. When you go to the temple, you give three loaves. Now, what happens as we feed on Jesus? This is OMG level Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 6. So remember, 1 through 5 is the offerings, but then like chapter 6 and 7 kind of give some more rules for the five offerings. Okay, So this is what we're getting to. Leviticus 6, 16, and speaking of the grain offering, and the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. We saw that part. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. So this is a beautiful picture of them eating in the presence of God. Beautiful thing. It shall not be baked with leaven. It shall, I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a most holy thing, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat it, as decreed through you throughout your generations from the Lord's food offerings. Are you ready for this? Whatever touches them shall become holy. Now, religion says if you're going to approach God and you're going to touch the bread, then you are going to have to be holy. Mm. But in God's economy, everyone who touches Christ and feeds upon Christ, they become holy. It didn't say, you better get good enough here if you're going to take of this bread. No, 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 no. When you take of this bread, you become good enough. Only Christ is the thing that makes you holy. Worship in the Bible is never about the song that you sing, but the sacrifice that you give. The offering that is acceptable to God is three loaves of bread. The temple that is acceptable to God as a temple has three different types of bread in all three parts. Outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies. God accepts you if you have the pure bread of Jesus Christ in your body, soul, and spirit. You cannot add to what God the Father has done. Do not hear what I am not saying. He loves you. He has given you everything. You cannot earn favor with him. He did everything for you. There is no but coming. You cannot earn salvation. It's all done for you by the love of God. It's all purchased for you by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all given to you as a free gift is given to you as the bread of life, and is given to you in all three parts. But our act, of, our act of worship back to him, our response to all that he has done, that's grace. Grace is like, I've done everything. I've given you bread. I've, I've got it for all three parts. I've got it. But our response to this thing is, God, I need all three bread parts. I need, I need three loaves. We've got to ask. Our act of worship is to present to him our body, soul, and spirit as a living sacrifice. I think that the scripture that gets it best is uh, Galatians 2.20. It says, um, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ expressing his life through me. What was the grain offering? It was the perfect life of Christ. The flour, the incense, the oil mixed in there, perfectly offered up to God. And so our response is to tap into that same life of God so that our body, soul, and spirit, our temple, is now pleasing and acceptable to him. Because of what Jesus has done, our response, we want it to line up with the character of Jesus. That's the grain offering. That's it. Isn't that good? Yeah, yay God. So here's what I want to do. I want to just take a moment, and I want to take some time to ask and be prepared to, outside of this time, to persistently ask, God, I need loaves in all three. I need all three loaves. And so let's just take time and just between you and Lord, um, Christ, I need you in my body. Some of you right now, you, you need a healing. You need strength in your body. Things, things are not uh, going the, the way that they are. So just your prayer is, God, I, I thank you that your, your offering was accepted 
It's one of the three types of bread. The offering was accepted for my body. And so, Lord, I need Christ in my body. If that's you, just begin to just talk to him about it. You don't have to earn it. Jesus already earned it. We're just believing it. We're receiving it. We're asking for it. Some of you got some stressful situations. This has been a grinding week, a pounding week, uh, an embarrassing week. There's things that are just being pounded out of you. And uh, the Lord's looking for fine flour, not to be a doormat, but to say, God, uh, I need you in my mind, will, and emotions. I need your strength. I need your comfort. I need your sufficiency. We ask for bread in our soul. And Lord, we just thank you for that manna that was placed in the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place, Christ himself. Lord, I thank you that when we have that, we are joined to you. I thank you that we've got Christ in our spirit. And because of that, all the good things come to us. So Lord, let our lives be a grain offering to you. Loaves of bread in every part. And Lord, to keep our eyes open and our uh, spirits ready to depend on you to draw out, to feed other people the loaves of bread. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ministry teams, you know what's coming forward.